It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Hi, this is Daniil Hartman, and I'm the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute. Today is Monday, October 19, 2020, and this is For Heaven's Sake, the new podcast from the Hartman Institute's I Engage Project. Our theme today is how do you define pro-Israel? In each edition of For Heaven's Sake, Yossi Klein Halevi, Senior Research Fellow at the Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem and myself, will be discussing a current issue central to Israel and the Jewish world. And then Ilana Steinhain, Director of the Hartman Faculty in North America, will explore with us how classic Jewish sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. At the Hartman Institute, we approach the Israel conversation as we do all conversations, from a perspective of Jewish values, seeking broad and deep engagement. Our aim is to encourage a serious and respectful conversation on Israel across political lines, promoting understanding and strengthening Jewish peoplehood. Let's begin. As we approach the American presidential election, there are interesting divisions emerging within the Jewish community. Following historic precedent, the majority of American Jews, according to recent surveys, 70%, will vote for the Democratic candidate. What is interesting is that a large percentage of Orthodox Jews, who are obviously not a monolithic group, will vote in this election for the Republican candidate, and a similar percentage of Israelis would do the same. Many factors impact on individual choices for president. In this election in particular, American domestic agenda are playing a decisive role in people's choice, as the future direction of America is felt to be on the ballot in more pressing ways than in the immediate past. That said, behind some of the divide within the Jewish community is a debate and disagreement as to what constitutes being pro-Israel. President Trump has campaigned as being the most pro-Israel president in history, and many within the Jewish community who support him, as well as in Israel, feel that he has earned that title and with it their support. He has even accused those who fail to support him of being disloyal to their country, with their country meaning Israel. For others, his supposed pro-Israel policies, such as moving the embassy to Jerusalem and his deal of the century peace plan, are in direct opposition to what they believe are in Israel's long-term interests and responsibilities and as such, are not pro-Israel. In today's podcast, we will explore this category of pro-Israel. What does it mean? How does one earn the title? Does agreement with Israel's government and its citizens constitute an important factor? What does it mean when Israelis and American Jews have a different understanding of the category? Is pro-Israel a category for friend? And if so, what does it mean to be a friend? To be clear, In discussing the notion of pro-Israel, we're not arguing that this should be 
a determinant factor in individuals' choices, nor are we taking a stand on who deserves support. That's not our mission here at Hartman. The parameters of our discussion are simply as follows. For those for whom being pro-Israel is a factor in their choice for president, what does the title mean and how does one earn it? Yossi, nice to be with you again. Always a pleasure. Leaving aside, as I said, the specific question of whether President Trump is pro-Israel or not, what do you believe are the essential qualities that make up this classification of a pro-Israel president? And let's focus on president um, at this time. You know, it's such a deceptively simple question. And if you push me to the wall, what I would say is a pro-Israel president is someone who takes our security needs and concerns seriously, who listens to us, not who agrees with us at the end of the day, but who's in the room and you feel that this is someone who you could share your concerns with. The problem is that it's, it's much more complicated for all of us. And it really brings out certain contradictory needs and fears. And so for example, we want an American president who treats us on the one hand like a normal country. Don't put us on a pedestal to tear us down. You know, Obama was accused of doing that. Just treat us like a normal country. But then when presidents do treat us like a normal country, George Bush the first, for example, we get really upset. Don't you know that we're an extraordinary country? Don't you see what an amazing place we are? What you're pointing to is that there's something more than taking seriously our security concerns. Yes, we want to be loved. <laughs> but it's, but it's, so pro-Israel <laughs> means someone who loves us? You see, I think that if you ask Israelis, does pro-Israel mean to love? They'll say, listen, Richard Nixon hated Jews. Maybe he didn't like Israel, but he appreciated our strategic value. And he was one of the best presidents for Israel in history. Obama loved Jews. Maybe he even respected and loved Israel but ask most Israelis and they'll say he was one of the worst presidents for Israel. But if you push even the Richard Nixon Israelis, what they really want is unconditional support and overwhelming love. <laughs> That's being pro-Israel. Let's play with this for a moment because I'm one of those Israelis. And again, I, I feel comfortable talking about people who were president. I don't want to talk about current, it's not our agenda. I always felt that President Obama was unbelievably pro-Israel. And for me, I felt that he loved Israel. He loved Israel. Now, I might disagree with him about his reading about Palestinians or Iran or whatever it might be. But once there was a feeling of love, then welcome. The Jewish people don't agree on what our security concerns are. We don't agree. So why should I demand of an American president a definition of pro-Israel that I wouldn't apply to average Jews or for that matter, even an Israeli. But let's say they have a different political position than I do. The first thing that I look for, and I, I know it's strange, but I really appreciate you raising it, is you started with a policy issue. Okay, take our security concerns seriously, listen to us. But then very quickly, you went to this emotional yearning mm -hmm. for love. Right. And I, I would just posit two quick points. Number one, is that when someone loves us, there's a feeling you're my friend. And if in that context, 
there's room for disagreement, and I don't want to assume that the only person who really is pro-Israel is the person who agrees with whatever I say at that moment. But I think the other dimension has to do with the profound sense of loneliness that maybe some Jews feel and Israelis definitely feel. And that when there's an American president who we feel loves us, our world is not small anymore. And yet the Obama uh, conundrum brings us back to the question of what happens when you're dealing with a president who may genuinely love you, but holds you up on a pedestal. And I'm thinking, for example, of John Kerry's last press conference. If you remember, he devoted 45 minutes to the Middle East, and it was all about the settlements. And it drove Israelis mad. That was all he could talk about. And you saw that it was coming from this place of real concern and disappointment. If you have such high expectations for Israel, and then we disappoint you, you're going to get a 45-minute press conference from the Secretary of State that's only about you and not about the other side. Let's conceptualize this for a second, because the first condition you gave for pro-Israel was taking seriously Israel's security concerns. Not only needs, but concerns. And I want to emphasize that word, because what it means is I am obligated to listen to you. At the end of the day, I'm not obligated to agree with you. We can disagree about Iran, but I need to hear your concerns about it. I think that's a critical point, by the way, because you're not interested in somebody paternalistically deciding that pro-Israel is not someone who takes over Israel's security needs according to their own definition. So let's look at your conceptualization. A, who takes Israel's security concerns seriously, that means talks to Israel about security issues and feels obligated to take them into account. That's number one. That is number one. Number two, you mentioned loves Israel. There's a feeling of love for Israel. But number three, who doesn't, what, put us, doesn't have a double standard for Israel? How would you conceptualize your third category? Using the Kerry example, what would be the conceptual category for that? That they love us, but are willing for us still to be normal? Don't love us too much. Don't idealize us. But that's different. That's different. So now we have three categories. I think we're reaching some clarity here. One, security concerns, not security needs. Definition one. Two, that there is a love. And three, that the love doesn't lead to idealization. When those three come together, a candidate is pro-Israel. Whether whether you agree with them or not, I think we've moved forward. Yes, but I would say that condition number two, for me at least, is optional. I personally am not looking for love. I get love in other places. I don't need it from the president of the United States. I need the president to take my issues seriously, to understand what it means to be living in the most dangerous region on the planet, to understand that we are in a profound struggle with our aspirations and our reality. I need, I need understanding. See, it's interesting for me, love is a very high category. <laughs> you know, it's true. I've got to say that in America has to love Israel. That's going a little too far. But for me, the first thing that I look for is do I feel that there's a profound friendship? I look for profound friendship. And friendship will lead to dialogue. In other words, my concerns become important to you because you're my friend. And therefore the necessary quality starts with friendship. 
Why should I expect of an American administration, or for that matter, for American Jews, to have a more limited litmus test of pro-Israel and friendship than I allow here in Israel? I like your subtle qualification, because what you're really doing is downgrading love to friendship. I value friendship enormously. Friendship and love are not necessarily the same thing. Friendship can, of course, be love, but it isn't necessarily the same. And so, yes, a precondition is friendship. Would be friendship. Love could sometimes mistakenly lead to idolization. Love can be dangerous. Let's, let's move to another stage a second. It's really interesting that Israelis, and it seems a majority of American Jews, have a very different understanding. Now, it's very possible that now that we've clarified this, that these are the three key criteria, friendship, security concerns, and non-idealization. But still, even using those categories, North American Jews and Israelis seem to come out differently on this. What does that mean? Is it that we don't agree about the three categories? Is that we place one more important than the other? What is the reason for this difference in your mind? I think one of the things has to do with what our friend and colleague Yehuda Kurtzer would say, which is that American Jews have multiple allegiances. Israelis have, when it comes to security, we have one allegiance. American Jews are thinking about the well-being of American society. You would argue as they should do. As they should, of course, of course. When you're an Israeli, the requirements of citizenship lead us to asking about the well-being of Israeli society. When you're living in America, you've got a different set of priorities. I would hope that Israel's well-being is in the mix. It's not for me as an Israeli to tell American Jews how high up Israel's well-being should be when they go into vote. I must respect each individual American's decision. But the other piece of this is, of course, the different circumstances that Israelis and American Jews live under and how we live out our Jewishness. There's a reason why American Jews place tikkun olam close to the top of their list of essential Jewish qualities, and Israelis place uh, security and the physical well-being of the Jewish people at the top of their priority, because we live in a region that, at least until recently, has been uh, almost relentlessly hostile to our survival. And American Jews live in one of the most welcoming, if not the most welcoming environment that Jews have ever lived in. And so each community has developed a necessary survival mechanism in response. We relate to our surroundings through deterrence. American Jews relate to their surroundings through embrace, through flexibility. One way of looking at what you're saying is there's an objective reality that's different in each place. And therefore, there's an objective reality in Israel and an objective reality in North America, which there is no criticism or paternalism involved. But it's almost saying, you North American Jews, if you were in Israel... You would be Republicans, and if Israel lived in America, we would be Democrats. I would argue for something more complicated. Maybe the reality is, it's not that we have different loyalties, it's that... There are, in each country, there are certain ideological sensitivities and realities that are emerging that impact on the way we think about the world. So, for example, part of the beauty of American Judaism is its emphasis 
on, on issues of equality, human rights, all people being created in the image of God as a central feature of their Judaism, as an essential feature of it. So if I grow up that one of the essential cores of Judaism is all people are created in the image of God, and that human beings as a result have inalienable rights to A, B, C, and D, then I might look at Judea and Samaria as an occupation in a way that Israelis don't, not because I'm not sensitive to security needs because I'm six to 10,000 miles away. Part of, of this How I Engage project is there's also a Torah in Israel which speaks very deeply about the moral obligation of, of self-preservation, not as a default and not as something immoral, but that embracing power and returning to power, there's something very healthy about those values. And that part of what happens is that it's not a Republican Democrat. It's not that, you know, you're living in the naive American reality where everybody's loved. I think that's one part. But maybe part of what's happened over the last 70 years is that we've both developed different emphases on Judaism. Some of them might come from our political reality, but some of them might not. Well, it comes some as them, well from being either a minority or a majority. But not even. Some of them might just come from various discourses, attitudes towards modernity, the makeup of our societies, and that Part of our vision of a, of a more complete Jewish world is one where the Judaisms that each are producing aren't perceived to be idiosyncratic to their particular reality, but that, that somehow we want to learn. And then the implications for pro-Israel, Yossi, is that we really need a more complex definition. Pro-Israel is part of an internal Jewish conversation. You speak about our security concerns. Some of our security concerns pertain to foreign policy. Some of our security concerns pertain to our internal policy. What's endangering us as a people? The danger in an American Jewish-Israeli conversation is that we will become caricatures of our geographical circumstance. And what we are trying to do in I Engage is first of all, establish broadly a shared set of Jewish values, and then make room for the fact that each community will play out its order of priorities differently. That's where circumstances come into play. But if you are capable as an Israeli only of holding up power, okay, I understand power, survival, that's our number one value. But if that's number one through 10, and there's no room to hear what American Jews are trying to tell us, and vice versa, if an American Jew makes Aliyah, my hope would be they bring some of their Torah. And that it's not just, if you'd all come here, you'd agree. I want to get rid of that. Right, right. but I, I would, though, argue that if American Jews lived here and we lived there, the order of priorities might be different. American Jewish liberals might be emphasizing security more than morality, for example. It's not security more than morality. It's one feature of morality over another feature of morality. Even better, even better. If you had to, and this is very personal, Yossi, you know, we have these three categories, but beyond the categories, is there a particular issue when you're talking about a president who has the ability to shape our lives and our future that you look for symmetry with, 
support from? Is there an issue more than other issues? Can I choose three? <laughs> I would say seriously, Iran, which I regard as the single greatest threat facing Israel uh, since 1973. And the second is the nature of Israel's asymmetrical wars on our borders with Gaza, with Lebanon, and the profound moral complexity of fighting asymmetrical war. And the third is uh, how you navigate the Palestinian issue. Do you take the needs of a two-state solution seriously on the one hand? Are you truly committed to working for a two-state solution, which for me, I think is in Israel's essential long-term interest? But are you also able to hear the fears of Israelis about a two-state solution. Yossi, let's take a short break. And when we return, Ilana Steinhain will join us. Hi, my name is Sabra Waxman, and I'm the Senior Marketing Manager at the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. I wanted to tell you about an event next week specifically for high school students. If you're interested in learning with Hartman, on November 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're hosting a conversation and Q&A with Slate Senior Editor and Hartman Senior Fellow, Dahlia Lithwick, moderated by Justin Pines, our Director of Youth and Young Adult Initiatives. To register for this and other upcoming events, go to shalomhartman.org backslash events. Ilana. Great to be with you as always. What, what within our tradition could help us think about what a pro-Israel president or individual might be? So I wanna do my um, characteristic American move on this podcast and think about this from a very American perspective. And I wanna change the orientation from what we do to you to what we do for you. You know, we talk a lot about how Israelis sacrifice and it's impossible, almost impossible to be an Israeli who's not pro-Israel because you sacrifice each and every day. And I wanna talk about sacrifice among American Jews. I think that being able to give something up, political, social, economic capital, something, that to me matters. If it's on Israel's behalf, that to me is at the heart of what it means to be pro-Israel and by the way, it can be for a Jew in the street. It can be for a politician. And I want to look at a text about conversion. The reason I want to look at a text, two texts about conversion is because we're pro-Israel by choice. We're not in a situation, thank God, like our European brothers and sisters, where we have to be pro-Israel because we're in danger. It's a different game. So I want to start with Yivamot 47a in the Babylonian Talmud about conversion. The sages taught with regard to a potential convert who comes to a court in order to convert at the present time when the Jews are in exile, the judges of the court say to that convert, what did you see that motivated you to come to convert? Don't you know that the Jewish people at the present time are anguished, suppressed, despised, and harassed, and hardships are frequently visited upon them? If that potential convert says, I know, and honestly, I'm unworthy of joining the Jewish people and sharing in their sorrow, and nevertheless, I desire to do so. 
And if that person does that, the court accepts them immediately and starts the conversion process. Now, let's just start with that. If you want to be pro-Israel, pro the Jewish people, you need to be willing to say warts and all. I identify with this group, even though it means that there are people who are gonna attack me for it, even though it means that there are times when I'm not going to be able to be in places where I used to be able to be before I decided to be part of this people. And then the passage continues and says, and you know what, it's, it's actually, it's not exactly enough to identify with the negative, but there's a little bit more. The judges of the court inform the convert of some of the easier mitzvot that are more lenient and some of the more strict mitzvot and then they inform them of the sin of neglecting certain mitzvot. And they inform that person of the punishment for transgressing the mitzvot. Meaning there's an element here, we want you to identify with the people, warts and all, even if it impacts you in a negative way. And we also want you to share some values. We want you to feel like there's something you actually have in common and that's part of the identification. And the reason why I really love this as a kernel of what it means to be pro-Israel is because it applies right and left. If you're right-wing pro-Israel as an American Jew, there's plenty that you give up. You give your time, you give your energy, you give your money, you give your political capital, there's so much. But if you're left-wing and pro-Israel as an American Jew, you do the same. You walk into places where they look at you funny because they say, what are you doing here in this social justice space? You are a pro-Israel Jew. You don't belong in our more liberal spaces. And they're giving something up by saying, no, 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 I'm here with my Israeli flag. And I don't want us to lose focus on that just because we're asking, what does the relationship feel like between American Jews and Israeli Jews? I want to say, what does it feel like for an American to say, I'm willing to give something up? I hear your two categories as playing out very much this notion of friendship. That on the one hand, you're a friend is through thick and thin. Your first definition is I don't want fair weather friends. If you're a friend of Israel, it's not a fair weather friend. And the second one is that friendship involves some, some reason for being friends. Friends is not a relationship of interests. So those two dimensions, that all applies really well to the American Jew. But let's go to the president for a second. No president of the United States would ever do anything that's against the interests of the United States, nor would we ever demand that. They're always going to look at America's interests, as they should. So how would you translate both categories of thick and thin or fair weather friend to a president? And the second one, shared values, which goes beyond the three that Yossi and I spoke about, but it goes into the definition of friendship. Sure, so I think shared values is not difficult. It's a democratic country, democracy in the Middle East, blah, blah, blah. I just don't think it's very difficult uh -huh. to get to some shared values. I think the question in politics, fair weather friends, that's what politics is often, right? Which is why I didn't talk about it as fair weather friends. I talked about it as sacrifice. You know, what I'm interested in is I'm interested in the difference between people who are willing to give something up, even politicians, 
Give me uh, an example of what you'd say an American politician would give up. I think it's actually not so different from left-wing American Jews, to be honest. For an American politician to be able to say, look, I understand that there's a lot of pressure coming from the left for BDS, but I reject it. That's actually giving something up. I'm thinking about the campaign trail right now, meaning one of the things that's going on in terms of Jews looking at the Biden camp, depending on where they are in terms of Israel, is they're saying, well, how could he associate with Sarsour and this and that? And then there are other people who are holding up and saying, but wait a second, he's actually standing up and saying, I know that I'm getting pressure from people on my left to abandon Israel and not say that I'm a friend to Israel, but I won't do that, which I think actually is a moment of sacrifice. You're looking for a place where a person is willing, even if for the sake of larger interests, as people think it should be. Correct. It backs them into a certain corner. Look, I want to I want to offer you another text for a minute. Okay. Which is Yevamot 24b. Rabbi Nehemiah would say, with regards to people who convert forcibly, okay, converted by lions, they were afraid of lions. It's a story in Malachim Bet in Two Kings. Or people who convert based on a dream. Or, and this is the last category that I care about here, people who convert in the time of Mordechai and Esther. Why? Because the Jews are ascendant, because they're afraid of the Jews. Those people are not converts until they convert at the present time. And then the Talmud says, what do you mean? Only people who convert at the present time are allowed to be converts? And then it says, no, 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 it has to be at a time that's like the present time, when Jews are in exile and there's no material benefit to conversion. And then it follows up saying, there'd be no converts in the days of the Messiah, we don't really think this way legally, but there'll be no converts in the days of the Messiah. And there, there weren't converts in the days of King David or King Solomon. Why? Because it was an advantage to convert them. You got something out of it, right? I'm also curious about the other side, which is when somebody is pro-Israel, politician or Jew, because they're getting something out of it, because it empowers them in some way. So you're saying that's a negative? I'm it's always going to be temporary. The Israeli-American strategic relationship didn't begin until after the Six-Day War when America concluded that there's something in this special relationship for us. It's not just shared values. Of course. But that's why in times when you have real trouble, you need to go back to some shared values. My question is, when we look at pro-Israelism as something that's only about interests, we're going to find ourselves in a very bad place. I just, I don't want to be simplistic about it if we want it for the long haul. And you can argue, Yossi, that the fact that this strategic relationship depends on interest is exactly why we're in trouble right now, right? See, Ilana is looking for, and what Ilana is adding to the conversation right now, and this is what she's pushing for, if I understand you right, is that I don't want you to be my friend because it's in your interests, and I don't only want you to be my friend when times are good. Friendship for you is the person who you feel is putting something on the table that they didn't have to put on it. That, that life might've been more simple, even if it's for long-term interest. When that happens, then that's the type of friend that you feel you're safe with. It's not gonna change when the interests change. It's not gonna change when, when the political map changes. It's an interesting question where evangelicals will fall into Ilana's definition if we right. play an essential role in, in a messianic story or not. But that core theory, um, at the end of the day, um, as we talk about pro-Israel and we talk about friendship, it's because we know that the reality of Israel is a vulnerable reality. 
And it's a lonely reality. For many years, our most consistent long-term friend is in the United States. And therefore, who is the president or who is not the president has a profound impact on our lives. Yosef and Ilana, it was great being with you. For heaven's sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced by David Svi Kelman and edited by Tali Cohen. Our managing producer is Dan Friedman and music is provided by SoCal. To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can write to us at forheavenssake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Yossi, Lana, thank you again very much, and thank you, all of you. <laughs>